Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. He is still risen. He is still risen indeed. Alleluia. It is good to be with you in this season of Easter. A number of years ago when my wife Abby and I lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was going to the seminary, uh, to, to study to be a pastor, uh, in the middle of the night, we both awoke uh, abruptly to the, the shaking of our apartment complex. And I, you know, in the middle of the night stupor, I, I said to Abby, wow, that, that must have been quite some thunder. And she said, there's no way that that was thunder. The whole, didn't you feel the apartment building? The whole thing was shaking for at least a minute. That had to be an earthquake. And I said, earthquake? What? And we had a, a middle-of-the-night stupor, half-asleep debate about the issue, and then we went back to sleep. And we woke up in the morning, and I put on the news, and I found out that I was wrong. As a matter of fact, there was an earthquake that day. Uh, there actually are earthquakes in the Midwest, believe it or not, or the South, depending on who you ask, whether, whether Missouri is the North, Midwest or the South. But there was, a, there was an earthquake, and then I was sitting on the couch that morning, and then I started feeling it. I started feeling it, and the, the pictures on the wall started shaking, and I thought, oh my goodness. You know, I grew up in Minnesota. I had never felt something like that before. The earthquake, and then the next morning, that aftershock that came with it. You know, when there is an earthquake, I'm no geologist or seismologist or any expert in this sort of thing, but from what I understand, earthquakes always come in clusters. That is, there is the main shock that everyone talks about, but there are also the foreshocks that come before and the aftershocks that come after. And the thing about this cluster of earthquakes, the foreshock, the aftershock, the main shock, is that they all originate from the same place, that same movement in the fault line. They all are triggered by the same activity. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is the Gospel writer who recounts that an earthquake took place when Jesus died, on the cross. Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Matthew says this. And then Matthew also says in the next chapter that at the resurrection of Jesus, that at his resurrection there was an earthquake. So Matthew says this in Matthew 28. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now there have been many debates, uh, both you know, archaeologically and theologically, about whether or not there was an actual, literal, historical earthquake that took place at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And many, uh, you know, archaeologists and things have tried to track this and, and have found evidence that there probably was an earthquake that happened somewhere around that time, right, uh, in that region. Uh, today, I, I don't necessarily want to go down that wormhole with you. 
I will leave it up to you whether or not you want to go and research this further. But what I want to point out to you today, what I want to point out to you and over the next couple of weeks, is that is I want to emphasize this, that the death and resurrection of Jesus did for all of creation what a literal earthquake does to the landscape. I want to emphasize to you that in many ways what Jesus did in his dying and rising is that Jesus shook things up. (laughs) That the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus changed the landscape of religion and the foundation of faith and what faith looks like and what salvation looks like, that foundation, it, it changed at the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, like every earthquake here on earth, and, and, and the death and even more so the resurrection of Jesus, not only had the main shock with his death and resurrection, but it also had aftershocks. You know, Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, and he lived on earth for another 40 days. Now, I've preached about this a lot, almost every Easter season, so some of you who have been sticking with us have heard me talk about this, but it is, it is, I've heard it from many faithful Christian people that have the image in their minds that Jesus died, and then he rose three days later, and then he's in heaven or something. What, what, I don't know what your minds think, but I want you to know this. Historically, literally, Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and then he was on the earth for 40 days, appearing to people. And he, he was proving his resurrection. And so what we're going to call this is the aftershocks of Easter. So over the next number of weeks, all the way through the day of Pentecost, we will be looking at the biblical events that happened in these 40 days and actually even 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Who did he appear to? And what were the results of that activity? And just like the aftershocks of a real earthquake originate from the same place, the aftershocks of Easter originate in the same place and the same activity. That is, they all go back to Jesus who has risen from the dead. And the aftershocks of Easter validate the fact that he did rise from the dead. Now today, we just read it out loud, uh, the story from Luke chapter 24, where Jesus appears to two disciples who are on their way to Emmaus. Now who are these two guys? These are not, um, these are not the uh, two of the apostles or two of uh, the chosen 12, who are actually now down to 11 because Judas has hung himself. They're not any in that group of 11. They are two other people, followers of Jesus, disciples of his, believers in him, and they are on the way to Emmaus. Now Luke indicates that Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so remember uh, this whole uh, death and resurrection from Palm Sunday to Easter, Hundreds of thousands of, of Jewish pilgrims, pilgrims have been in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. And so likely it's two of these people who had been in Jerusalem, been following Jesus, and now are on their way home after this seven-day celebration of the Passover. 
And so they are walking along the road on this seven-mile trip, and they're talking about what has happened in Jerusalem over the last week. And, and, and the Bible says that they are deeply saddened in their conversations. What are they sad about? They're sad that Jesus has died. They're sad because they've witnessed this terrible crucifixion. Now, Jesus appears to them while they're walking along, but the Bible says that their eyes were kept from seeing who he truly was. And Jesus says to them, what are you talking about? Now, one of the two, his name is Cleopas, and Cleopas says to this man, he goes, are you the only person in this whole region who doesn't know what's just taken place? Everybody's been talking about it. All the people who were here saw that this man Jesus, who, had, who has been being raised up in leadership, that he was crucified by, by the leaders, by the chief priests. He, he died, and they buried him. And then some of the women who believed him, they've gone to the tomb, and he wasn't there. And then Peter even went, and he wasn't there. We don't know where he is. And, and it's the third day, and he said he would rise on the third day, but we don't know where he is. It says even that when Jesus asked them this question, that they stood still and that they were sad, that they were just deeply troubled by all of this. And so Jesus starts talking to them now. And as Jesus talks to them, he, he goes back all the way beginning with Moses and the prophets, talking to them about all the things that have been said in the scriptures that the Messiah must do, and that the Messiah must die, and the Messiah must rise. And, and they're walking along, and they get to Emmaus, finally to their location, and, and Jesus acts as if he's going to keep going along. I don't know. And, and the, the people say to him, why don't you come on in, have, have, spend the night with us. And so Jesus does, and, and when he's with them, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and their eyes are open, and they see him for who he is, and then Jesus vanishes. <laughs> Jesus vanishes, right? But right after Jesus vanishes, they responded with these words. Now they know who Jesus is, and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us, at once, at that very hour, they go back to Jerusalem and they tell the eleven, what, what's happened? We, we know, we, you, you saw the empty tomb, you all saw him, now we've seen Jesus, he is alive. You could say that the disciples at first, when they were saddened, that their hearts were broken. Right? Their hearts were broken. But now that they know that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, they've got heartburn. <laughs> they went from heartbreak to heartburn. From heartbreak to heartburn, a positive heartburn, a heart that's burning with the passion of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From heartbreak to heartburn. I ask you, my friends, today, what breaks your heart? Have you ever thought about that before? What breaks your heart? I have people ask me a lot, Pastor, how am I supposed to know what my 
what my purpose is in this life. <laughs> you know, what, what is it that God has, has called me to do? What's, what, 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 am, what am I supposed to be doing in this life? You know, I believe God has hardwired each of us in a unique way, and every one of us respond to different situations differently. You could say that our hearts break for different reasons. And I would like you to think about it like this. I think if you can get in touch with what it is that breaks your heart, that likely that is the thing that God has uniquely given to you to do something about. And so what breaks your heart can actually be the thing when connected with the power of Jesus' resurrection, the thing that actually gives you heartburn, that burns with the desire to do something in the name of Jesus about the thing that breaks your heart. Just think about this. The death of Jesus broke the hearts of many. It broke the hearts of his friends, of his followers, of his family. Jesus appears to two of these followers of his on the way to Emmaus, and by the power of his resurrection and the reality of his presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, their minds were open to understand the scriptures, and they understood who Jesus was as their Savior who is risen from the dead, and after he was gone, their hearts burned with the passion and the desire to tell other people that Jesus had risen from the dead. This was the first aftershock of Easter that their hearts burned and they ran back to Jerusalem all seven miles that night to tell the people that Jesus really is risen from the dead. Our heartbreak can be turned into a healthy and holy heartburn in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. This is an ongoing aftershock of Easter that your life is changed because Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that when we spend time with the resurrected Jesus, we will see that Jesus has the ability and the power to overcome all of the things that break our hearts. When we spend time with the resurrected Jesus, we will see that he has the ability and the power to overcome all the things that break our hearts. He can take all those things that break our hearts and he can turn them into a heartburn that lives within us. A good heartburn, a heart that burns with the passion and the zeal to take the good news of Jesus Christ and do something about these issues that break our hearts. So what breaks your heart? For me, personally, the thing that breaks my heart is that there are many people who do not know Jesus. There are people who are dying who don't know Jesus, and that breaks my heart. Another thing that breaks my heart is that when people are on the fence, <laughs> kind of getting to know Jesus, 
but wrestling through it based on their own life experiences, that breaks my heart. Because I want people who don't know Jesus and who, people who are on the fence about Jesus to fully know who Jesus is. And so my heart breaks with the opportunity to do something about this. And what I know is that Jesus rose from the dead and that Jesus has overcome death and that I desire for everyone to know this truth. I believe Jesus can take that heartbreak of mine and turn it into heartburn and a passion and a desire that aligns with his to do something about it. And so I love building relationships with people and taking time and being patient with people and letting that time in those relationships work out by the power of the Holy Spirit. But for some of you, maybe your heart breaks with the same thing, but maybe not at the same level mine does. But for some of you, your hearts break for a whole different reason. So what breaks your heart? For some of you, it might be that there's racial inequality in this world. And when you spend time with the resurrected Jesus, you see that there's no place for this sort of thing in our world, and your heart breaks and it drives you to do something about that. For some of you, your heart breaks because of things that you, difficult things you've had to deal with in your life and, and overcome, or difficult things that your family has dealt with. For some of you, you have dealt with uh, addictions in your life, substance abuse or, or other addictions, and you've overcome those things. And now that you're sober, your desire and your heart burns to see to it that these people find a way out of their addiction. That's what your heart breaks and burns for. Every one of us, if we, if we pay attention to what's going on in this world, our hearts break and God hardwires us in a certain way to do something about it. And this is what I want you to think about. What breaks your heart? You know, it's one thing to have your heart broken and to try to fix those issues on yourself. It's a whole other thing when you align your burning heart and have your heart burn with the passion of the resurrected Jesus. And when your heart burns in alignment with why Jesus' heart burns, then you can do something about it in this world. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave, again, means that he is victorious already over all of the things that break our hearts. So my prayer is that our hearts align with his hearts and that our hearts burn with passion and zeal and holy heartburn for the things that Christ has called us to do. When you spend time with the resurrected Jesus and you open up his word, I do believe that the Holy Spirit will be present with you and that you will understand about Jesus the things that you need to understand. And therefore, your heartbreak can turn to a heartburn. So this is what I want you to do this week. Think about what breaks your heart. What breaks your heart in this world? Which issues cause you, like those disciples, to just stand still and be sad? <laughs> and then I want you to open up your Bible, and I want you to pray, 
And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and the power of the risen Jesus to come and be present with you, to open your minds to what his heart is calling you to do, and therefore to bring his resurrection power into this world. Let your heartbreak be turned into heartburn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in the risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen.